We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Gentlemen, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. No Fachi today, but we have first-time guest. He's been a guest on some other Pacers podcasts. He's the pro- producer for the Pacers uh, radio broadcast on 107.5 The Fan. It is Eddie Eduardo Garrison. Eddie, what's going on, brother? Hey, what's going on, my man? It's uh, nice to finally make an appearance on the pod. Big supporter <laughs> of you guys, but uh, it's nice to finally be on. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's it's cool to have you on here, and I'm excited that uh, we're able to do this finally. I know we've been talking about it for a while now, and uh, just the perfect opportunity with Fachi out of town, I was able to get you on. After watching a pretty impressive Pacers victory over the Golden State Warriors, 125 to 119, Tyrese Halliburton had a nice bounce back game from his one-point performance against the Miami Heat. Benedict Mathern came to life after he'd been struggling. He had 24 points on 8 of 14 shooting. Miles Turner once again had another... Really solid game outside, shooting the ball, 21 points. Uh, just just a really good effort, I felt like, from everybody on the team uh, to, to pull out a victory against a, a little bit of a depleted Warriors team. No Wiggins, no Thompson. Obviously, Steph goes out in the third, and Draymond got ejected. A lot of, a lot of storylines here, but just a big-time win. Oh, yeah, for sure. And if you want to you know, give a game ball – to anybody, I think it has to go to Benedict Matherin. He comes off the bench, scores 24 points, grabs six boards, and then when you look at the plus-minus, and I know Rick's a big guy on plus-minus, uh, Matherin was plus 34, yeah, which was the which is the biggest plus-minus out of anybody on the team. Um, he came in that third quarter, came off the bench when they needed some scoring because they were struggling to score. Next thing you know, I think it was down to like a three-point game or something like that. Scores nine quick points, and, and the Pacers are back out by 10-plus. So if you had to give a game ball, I think I had to go to Benedict Mather in there. But uh, it was nice to see Tyrese bounce back because 
Um, oftentimes when you're talking about players that play well and they have a bad game, it's like, how are you going to respond? And I think the way Tyrese responded was really well, 29 points. You like to see him uh, take care of the basketball better, uh, six turnovers and five threes. But I think the one thing, and Eddie Gill talked about this on uh, the radio broadcast, was that you're seeing a lot of teams more not fall and crash to the paint and toward the glass with Halliburton when he gets in the paint in the lane now. You're seeing a lot of those guys stay back, and when he gets caught up in the air, uh, most of the times he, he doesn't know where he's going with the basketball and ends up resulting in a turnover. You kind of saw that a little bit with Golden State. Uh, you've seen a little bit more of it lately, but um, hopefully Steph's okay. I know he tore it. I think it was his labrum in that left shoulder. Yeah. Hopefully it's uh, something that doesn't derail his entire season. But, yeah, a really good win for the Pacers, back over 500, and now they're on to Cleveland. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Steph Curry was killing the Pacers in that game already. I mean, he had, what did he have, 38 points before he left? Yeah, so 38 points in 30 minutes. I mean, if you had played that fourth, it could have been a totally different ball game. let's be honest here. Um, I thought there was some nice play from uh, Jermichael Green. He had some big-time shots in that game. Um, I really have liked Kaminga and what he's been able to do defensively for the Golden State Warriors as well. But, yeah, it just, you know, Jordan Poole, you know, fine player. But I, I wanted to ask you this, okay, Rick Carlisle, went to the defense of Tyrese Halliburton after their game against the Heat. He said, look, you have bad games. But what that shows yeah. me, he was a plus what was, I think it was a plus seven when he mm-hmm. scored one point. So mm-hmm. how does Rick Carlisle come back and say 29 points, six assists, four rebounds, but a minus two? Does that mean he wasn't impacting the game as much? Because that's been plus minus to me. It's an interesting stat, right? I think it's one that doesn't really tell the full details of everything. But I'm just saying, if you emphasize the plus seven when he scored one point, what do you say, good reasoning-wise, minus two when you had 29? Maybe he should score less. No, I'm kidding. But you get what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it goes back to those six turnovers. When you go back and look at it, uh, I think a a large part of the reason why he finished minus two is because he has those six turnovers. Uh, yeah. If you eliminate, you know, two or three of those, you, you could be around like plus three, plus four uh, to go with those 29 points. I mean, Tyrese was great uh, against my against Golden State. Uh, he, I mean, he wasn't able to score against Miami, but he did impact, like uh, Rick said, on the defensive end, got a couple deflections, some steals, and I think he was able to, to still orchestrate the offense against Miami, even though he wasn't really getting many assists or points. But you, I think Miami had to, like, you know, you have to account for Tyrese and, and if you really want to look at plus minus from Golden State outside of Benedict Mather and a plus 34, you look at Buddy Heald. Uh, he had 17 points, but he was minus 21. Yeah. So so it's like, how do you yeah. evaluate how Buddy did last game? But all in all, uh, I think Tyrese responded well, like I said earlier. Yeah, I think I think sometimes plus minus is a good indication of like, man, they killed it. But I think also sometimes it's just like, man, they were out there for a bad run. But it doesn't mean that they played bad. Mm-hmm. And that's – I was just being a little facetious, tongue-in-cheek there with plus-minus because anytime I bring up plus-minus, people freak out on me on social media uh, tell me that's a terrible stat. Don't use that. So, you know, I, I just had to say that. But I, I'm curious your thoughts because we talked about it on the last podcast. Aaron Neesmith getting the start over Jalen mm-hmm. Smith. Jalen Smith going to the bench. Once again, Isaiah Jackson getting a uh, – did not play coach's decision. What are your thoughts on the rotation and how they've kind of changed it up a little bit? I think with Aaron Neesmith, it allows you to do more things with Miles Turner because you can put Neesmith in a corner to spot up and shoot where he's shooting about, you know, 38%, which is right where he's been so far his NBA career. But when you go back and look how he shot it in college, he was around like 45%. So you know that 
But you know he has the ability to shoot and make threes. And I think if you can get Neesmith kind of like in a P.J. Tucker-esque role where you ask him to rebound and defend the other team's best scorer who's a wing and spot up in the corner and shoot a couple threes, that, that leaves the paint open for miles on pick and roll and allows Tyrese Halliburton to be able to drive and get to the basket. It even gives avenues for Andrew Nimhart too, and even Buddy Hill. Buddy's been driving a lot more lately instead of settling for threes and shooting the original whatever 10 plus threes a game it feels like he shoots sometimes. So I think when you start Aaron Neesmith, it allows you to do more offensively with Miles. And then on the defensive end, uh, Neesmith is the best on-ball defender that the Pacers have. So and if he's defending their best wing, uh, and like on or on the Golden State case, he was on Jordan Poole for most of the time because uh, Curry was drew the Halliburton matchup at Slash Nimhard. They rotated in and off there. But I think uh, I think Neesmith brings a lot of tools that you can – Use defensively, you can switch a little bit more, and then offensively, like I said, I think it opens up things in the paint for Turner and certainly the the guards as well. Yeah, and that's a great point, I, and I agree with that. I think Neesmith has really shot the ball well recently. It was not going in very well, and, and I think right now is at like thirty seven percent. I think the last time I checked uh, via ESPN, and then Jalen Smith's at like twenty eight percent. Jalen has shot a lot of threes and has missed a lot of them. I mean, mm-hmm. no way to sugarcoat this, Eddie. It's just not been a great shooting season so far for Jalen Smith. And I think a lot of it is it's just he's not getting a lot of consistent touches. He's pretty much just shooting threes and and trying to get himself going. I kind of like the idea of putting with the second unit just to kind of maybe give him a different type of role. And like you said, Neesmith just allows them to play differently. They can play a little bit more up-tempo, which I think is the Pacers' M.O. That's who they are. They're not a slow-down team, and I think they can play faster. They can switch things on defense. And if Neesmith can continue to shoot the ball at a 37%, that's a really good percentage. So, you know, we've been knocking him here a little bit, kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit here about his three-point shooting, but his numbers have been really good of late. And so I'm, I'm I'm hoping that he does continue to grow in that position. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that agree with you, but I, I don't know if I can agree with you that Neesmith's their best on-ball defender. I, I am enamored with Andrew Nimhard's defense. And I feel now there's people that I've heard say say Neesmith already on different podcasts. So I am probably in the minority here saying that Nimhard's a better defender to me. But I just think Nimhard does so many other things so well that maybe Neesmith mm-hmm. doesn't. So I would just say overall, I think as crazy as it sounds, the rookie Andrew Nimhard is their best wing defender right now. Oh yeah, I, I could understand another argument. I would tolerate that argument. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, you know, you're totally incorrect with that statement." But <laughs> I can also, I can see that. Like, I, I agree with you. It's like a one A, one B kind of deal where it's like you can make the argument for either one of those guys being the best on ball perimeter defender. I mean, we've seen Nimhard guard Steph Curry now a couple of different times when they face Golden State, and of course, you have to go back to really when the defense of trust in Carlisle to Nimhard started was when he came up with that uh, stop on Tyler Hero and then my, the first time they played Miami at, at Gamebridge when the game was on the line, he put Nimhart on Tyler Hero and he forced Tyler Hero to take a very contested, difficult shot to try and win it for the Heat. So I think you can make the argument um, for Andrew Nimhart as the best on-ball perimeter defender. Back to the Jalen Smith point that you're making. Yeah, uh, Last year when he was with Indiana, I with, there was no Turner. Um and there was no Sabonis, so he was playing the five. Yeah, which I think that's where he was most comfortable. Sure. He shot thirty-seven. He shot thirty-seven percent there, uh, playing the five primarily last year. And when you look at college, his junior, his freshman year, he shot twenty-seven percent, and then his sophomore year, he shot thirty-seven percent. 
which is kind of online with what we saw in his shoot last year mm-hmm. uh, when he was with the Pacers for those 22 games. He got a couple of starts there. But uh, I think moving him back to the bench, or not back to the bench, but moving him to the bench mm-hmm. uh, will allow him to get comfortable again within the offense to play his natural position number five compared to four. Yeah, and I think those are all great points. Uh, bring up the the college numbers there shooting-wise for Jalen. It's just been always inconsistent for him, and unfortunately that's just the way it is. Um, I want to go back real quick just to the the, the Neesmith and Nimhard comp here. I will, I will say this. I I think there's a time where Neesmith is probably more of a physical defender, but I think mm-hmm. if there's anybody I trust defensively, I think uh, Nimhart is the guy I trust the most. I, I trust him not to maybe play over aggressive and get a foul. Now there's been times where he's fouled out of games, and I and I understand that like he's got a lot on his load there, but I'm just saying game on the line, like you said against Tyler Hero, I trust him to be able to make a more defensive play, a, a more well-rounded defensive play where he doesn't you know, potentially get himself into foul trouble, but that is not taken away from Neesmith. And so, yeah, I mean, the other wrinkle here uh, of of Smith getting benched, right, is it's kind of eliminated. It's compl- Actually, it has eliminated. It's not kind of. It has eliminated Isaiah Jackson from the rotation. I understand Isaiah Jackson has been up and down this season for sure, but I really do like what Isaiah Jackson has shown when he's been given the chance to, you know, get in there and, and he has a good feel with a certain group. And I know that the Pacers are high on him, very athletic rim, uh, rim threat, rim protector as well. And I've seen him at times knock down that mid-range jumper, Eddie, when given the chance. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't shoot it ever. I think they've kind of pigeonholed him a little bit into a certain role where all he does is roll. And I get mm-hmm. it. Not a good screen setter either. None of our guys are. Our, our, our bigs are terrible at setting screens. And that's one thing they can get better at. But I just I don't like the idea of yes Jalen goes to the bench, but it eliminates Isaiah Jackson from the rotation. Yeah, I want to also think about this too. Is like you look at Golden State and you look at Miami. Both those teams really only have one true big man that yeah. they regularly play, and Kevon Looney himself is a smaller side on the big. And you even saw Golden State roll out in the second half. They went to Kaminga. Uh, Pool, DiVincenzo, Green, and Curry. So they went really small. So I wonder if the lineups that they faced between Miami and Gold Sands a little bit of a factor into it. But I think the main primary factor into the limited play of Isaiah Jackson lately has been Jalen Smith moving on to the bench. And I'd really like to see Isaiah get more than, you know, the 10 to 12 minutes that he has been occasionally seeing uh, ever since the switch to the bench for Jalen Smith. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's... It's whatever. I mean, I'm not worried about it. Like you said, it could be matchup predicated. And we talked about that after the game against the the Heat. Is this matchup predicated and how they're going about making their changes in the rotation now? Come against Cleveland, they're a little bit bigger. Do we see them go back to Jalen in the starting five? I'm going to keep an eye on that. I think that's very interesting. But I think Coach Carlisle knows how this team has played the best, and that's when they've been smaller. A lot of times when they're closing out lineups, it's been Turner, Nimhard, Heald, Halliburton, Matherin. It's been that five for the majority of the times when they've closed out, and I think that's a good sign of, okay, they do play better when they're playing a little bit smaller, a little bit faster. But um, last thing here, Benedict Matherin. Let's just talk about it before we wrap up this game conversation. Huge night. You already talked about the plus 34, but, like, how good was it to see him finally kind of, like, break out of that shooting slump? Because, man, it felt like he had ran into a rookie wall, hit it hard, but I think last night against the Warriors or Wednesday night against the Warriors felt like he was busting through that glass and ready to move on to the next part of the season. 
Yeah, and you could kind of sense that that game was kind of coming too. You could see it brewing for like the last week or so. Um, he had the good game against Washington right after the road trip. He came back with eight of fifteen shooting at eighteen points. But then Brooklyn and Miami; those are Brooklyn and Miami are two really good defensive teams. I don't think Brooklyn gets a lot of credit, even though they give up one thirty six and they were without their top seven scores. But he never really got going in that game. He only took nine shots compared to the usual ten to twelve, fifteen that he normally takes. So I don't, I don't really count that game into the in the grouping of like he had a struggle per se because. I think that was one of his lowest minutes total two at 26 it's probably bottom five but yeah it was nice to see uh benedict get going as i like to call him sometimes eggs benedict uh that's my <laughs> little nickname that i came up with a long time ago when he got drafted the one thing that he has to improve on though is like and you look at the home and road splits he's averaging nearly 20 points a game at home 16 on the road his efficiency takes a big hit when it comes to shooting threes he's 42 percent at home compared to 27% on the road. Mm. So that's the one thing I think the rookie has to learn um, is how to play better away from Gamebridge Fieldhouse than he currently does. And we're sitting here, we're, you know, grasping for straws, just nitpicking at the things that Benedict Mather and has struggled to do and forget dude's averaging 18 points a game as a rookie. Like, yeah. you came into the start of the season and you said that, I would have said you're crazy. I, 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 didn't think he, I didn't think he'd be averaging, you know, 18 right out of the gate. I thought he would have been a guy that's scoring like – you know, the low double digits in that 10 to 12 range, and then you can mm-hmm. kind of see his game develop as the season went on. But I have been thoroughly pleased with Benedict Matherin, and I just like the fact that he's able to bounce back uh, against Golden State, and his confidence never wavered during that time either. No, it didn't. He was still shooting even though the shots weren't going. I think he was like one of six from three one night, and there's a couple other games where he'd only have like one or maybe go, oh, something. I mean, it just felt like, man, this guy is just not as accurate as you would like to see. And if, and if you're, you know, right, you're telling us the stats right there from the home road splits. Yeah. They were on the road for seven games in a row. And that's why I felt like he was struggling because he was shooting bad on the road, 27%. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think Rick Carlisle is a fantastic basketball coach and I am not saying I'm smarter than Rick Carlisle whatsoever. Um, but I did say this on, I don't know if it was a recent podcast or when I had Jake Query on, they got to start running more plays for Matherin. I, I mean, not like, oh, here's the ball, get out of the way. I'm saying more plays to get him better looks where it's not just standstill, catch and shoot type of stuff, or you know, him try to like do a pick and roll type of thing. And like maybe if the you know he gets somebody slower switched on him, he can get him real quick with the pull up jumper. We've seen him do that. Like he's he can he's very capable of doing that. But like when you see him struggling to score the basketball, maybe run some pin down actions for him or, or some different type of actions to get him just a clean look off of a catch and shoot coming off, you know, a screen and just see if that can kind of get his confidence going. Cause like, I think Tyrese Halliburton said this, when you see Ben score, he scores in bunches and we saw him score nine points in that game in the third quarter to kind of keep the Pacers lead afloat there because the Warriors were on the heels of the Pacers. They're probably going to get the lead uh, back or take the lead at this point. The Warriors were, and Matherin said, no, I'm scoring nine straight points. And that's what he did. And I mean, that's what he can do for this yeah. team. He's a special player. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But with that being said, we got two more things we want to talk about today. So let's jump over to the next one here really quick. Jake Fisher, Yahoo Sports, put out an interesting article today kind of talking about the December or the December 15th uh, unofficial trade starting, you know, when everybody that's been signed in the offseason can officially be traded now uh, because 90 days or whatever it is, not 90 days, I forget how many days it's been, but the right. – the, the threshold of how many days you have to wait before you can trade the players you've signed has passed. Uh, excuse me for not knowing the exact uh, number of days that is. But in his reporting, Miles Turner was brought up, as well as John Collins. Shocking. Yes. So two of the most common names that are in trade rumors for the Pacers. Uh, interestingly enough, he said that uh, the, keep an eye on uh, Collins as a destination for Indiana. Sources said the Pacers have told inquiring teams they're searching for a power forward to join their rebuild that features a blooming backcourt of Halliburton and Matherin. Indiana also suggested to opposing front offices that the Pacers are open to contract extension conversations with Miles Turner. Some rival executives have painted that stance as a negotiation tactic to draw greater offers for Turner services. And before the center recently changed representation, there was no development of any contract conversation with Indiana. Sources said Turner, though, would certainly be um, I'm trying to say what that word is uh, amenable to returning to Indiana and uh, amid a career season. So lots of really break down there, but basically looks like Turner and, and, the, and resigning with the Pacers or extending with the Pacers is not a closed door, but it could also be smoke. So take what you want there with that, Eddie. And the Pacers could have their eyes on John Collins. So quickly give me your thoughts on that before we take a break. Uh, when you look at John Collins, you know, he's 25 years old, born a day before me and a year. So we're almost the same age, practically the same person. Totally kidding there. We're both athletic freaks, you know. I'm just kidding again. But, uh, okay. you know, he's he's averaging a dozen and eight points right now for Atlanta. He's 25 years old. He's younger than Chris Duarte. And he's yeah. been in the league. This is his sixth year in the league, and he's younger than Chris Duarte. That's kind of how I'm looking at this. Uh, I don't know the full – I know he just signed that extension in the offseason, right? Or is that two uh, years ago? It might have been last year, but I think it's like uh, $24 million a year or something around that uh, for what he's making, if I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, I know. I think he's got three years left on the deal, if I'm not mistaken, from what I checked earlier today. But, yeah, so he's got, he's got this year – and three more after that, and then he becomes a unrestricted free agent um, in the offseason of 2026. Okay, so he has he's a, got a couple more years. He's got a player option on the 2025 season, um, and he is in that $25 million range okay. um, per year over the next three seasons. So it kind of fits with what, you know, KP and the front office like to do is that you know, he's a really athletic wing that allows you to switch defensively, kind of like Isaiah Jackson. 
Um, I think their metrics are pretty close. I know they're both six nine. I, I cannot uh, remember the weight on Isaiah Jackson at the moment, but Collins listed at two twenty six. So it's interesting to think about because Collins has always been the third or the fourth guy in Atlanta. And if the rumor is true that there is some serious interest or interest at all between the two teams in making an exchange like this, would Collins be in the same role that he currently is in now? But in Indiana, because you have DeJounte Murray and you have Trey Young, um, you know, obviously Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Andrew Nimhard, and Benedict Matherin. So, it's really interesting, and I think the part of that, of that that I took away the most uh, was the Turner and the representation and the contract part of it. Yeah, because it seemed for so long that you know it, it was a done deal that Miles was not going to sign that extension. Now we haven't heard that for sure. I, for Miles, there hasn't been any indication of that for Miles, um, and I think the Pacer fans have really seen uh, Miles' love playing for them this season. Now that he's kind of matured in a way where he's relaxed and in his own little uh, role that he has finally understood what his role is and he's playing it to perfection as far as I can, I'm concerned. Uh, he had the one game against Golden State recently where he only had two rebounds, but other than that, I think Turner's been pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, he didn't play great against the Warriors – not the Warriors, excuse me, the Nets with his rebounding issues there as well. Um I mean, Miles has had some bad games this year. Don't get me wrong. The Kings game was bad on the road. Clippers game against Zubac wasn't great. But, I mean, overall, I think he's having a career year. I mean, you can't deny that. Yeah. We can we can nitpick him like you talked about earlier. We can nitpick Benedict Mathern because he's been so good. We can start nitpicking everything. But at this point, I think mean, Miles has clearly been the best big on this team and possibly even the most impactful player overall on this team. You can make a case for that. So it's interesting to see what they're going to do with him. I- I'm still just kind of sitting in limbo here. I've heard so much, so many trade rumors from Miles that it's hard to really believe that he's going to get traded until mm-hmm. he actually does because it's just been like five years of ongoing trade rumors. I don't know if I'm going to see an extension until we uh, – I'm not going to believe that we're going to see an extension until it actually happens as well because we've heard so much recently about that. It's like if he was playing bad, you think that they'd just automatically be like, oh, yeah, we're not extending him whatsoever. So that's kind of where I'm at with it all. On, on Turner's front, I think it's nothing really to – Hit home about there, but I do think the, the the John Collins piece is interesting. You brought up some of his numbers this year. He's regressed over the last couple of years. I don't know if he's the long-term fit with this team. I don't know if he's worth the money. We could get into all that later. But I think for now, uh, looking, at, looking at John Collins as a potential guy, there's reasons why I, I think fans could be really excited about the potential of what he could be. But at the same time, how much more does he impact the Pacers' chances of winning? I think you have to weigh all those factors out if you're if you're the front office. And quite frankly, it's a lot of money to pay a guy that seems to be regressing with a team that just made a East Finals run a couple of years ago. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we know what a breath of fresh air can do playing for Rick Carlisle in a different type of system versus what Nate McMillan likes to run. And last thing here, Eddie. I think there's a big difference between playing with Tyrese Halliburton and Trey Young. One's constantly oh, agreed. One is looking for you. One is looking for himself. And Trey's mm-hmm. a good passer. I think he is. But you know, Trey's Trey score first. That's what he does. And and Tyrese is pass first. So you know, that's that's where I'm at with that. But any other thoughts on that before we move on? No, just other than the fact that, uh, excuse my dog, he probably sees another dog he's trying to say hi to. He's got a friend here in our 
apartment complex <laughs> and I think the friend is outside and he goes, Oh, let me out. I want to join you. But just a couple of years ago, I mean, granted it was the bubble shortened season. Uh, Collins averaged nearly 22 points a game here before that 20. And yeah, the talent is certainly there for Collins when he's been given the opportunity. I think he's been hindered um, with playing next to Capella uh, and Trey Young because primarily those two have been in the pick and roll a lot and Collins has been a guy that doesn't get as many post-up opportunities as he probably should or get you know have the ability to get the ball in the wing and then back down to the basket or or, or things like that I know yeah it's uh I think it's just been a weird fit for him honestly and I'm not sure exactly if it's fit if it's just him as a player regressing I don't know but what really sucks about it all the Pacers fans are going to get tired of hearing this, but that could have been their draft pick five years <laughs> yeah. ago, and they wouldn't be having to give up stuff to get him. But uh, you live and you learn from your mistakes, and you move on from them because the Pacers have been pretty lucky the last couple of drafts and how they've done. So. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going to now, as we close up this episode, over the next 10 minutes probably, quickly rank the roster from bottom to top. So we're going to start at number 17. Look, I only gave Eddie 15. I will go ahead and go and list 17. That's Daniel Tice. He's not played all year, so he will not make our top 15. And then number 16, he only only played like a few minutes when we were down with a lot of injuries. Treble and Queen at at 16, okay? There's your 17 and your 16. So now we're just going to go quickly back and forth. Number 15, ranking the Pacers roster as how they've played this season overall. Number 15, who you got? I'd say Kendall Brown right now. Just haven't seen enough of Kendall on the floor yet to move him up. Um, that's just kind of where I put Kendall. He has, he has shown some terrific athleticism. Um, but uh, I'd like to see a little more Kendall Brown here. And I know we will eventually as the season progresses. You want to see what you have in players. But right now I've got Kendall Brown at 15. No, I, I agree with that. I have KB at 15 as well. I um think he's got some actually decent playing time when he's got out there this season. Like, he hasn't looked atrocious. Like, I thought that there's a really raw talent out here that's just not going to be able to make it within the next year or two in terms mm-hmm. of, like, a significant role, which he probably isn't going to have a significant role. But when he's been asked to play, uh, when they've had injuries, it's been kind of exciting to see a six nine guy out there and just watch him play some defense. And that's what he does well. But it's not been a big enough sample size to put him up any higher, I agree. So... We both have him here at 15. At 14, I will tell you mine, and you can see if you're on the same page. This is where I got TT, Terry Taylor. Did you have Taylor at 14? Yeah, that's where I have TT as well. Just hasn't been given the same amount of opportunities as he was last year. And when he has gotten the opportunity, you can still see he has that knack for getting on the offensive glass. And uh, that's an area of which the Pacers have struggled recently. So I'm interested to see if – He'll get some more opportunities here, uh, at least a couple minutes here and there, to see if he can help the Pacers in the rebounding issues that they've had. Yeah, I mean, the, the front office raved about him in the offseason, how great of a, of a player he is and how awesome they think he could be for this rotation. But I think the front court's just too crowded at this point. Like, even Ijax is getting coaches, uh, not DNP coaches' decisions. So 
Uh, unfortunately for Taylor, it's just outside looking in right now in terms of the rotation. And uh, your dog agrees with this take, so let's move on to number 13. Uh, Goga Bataze for me. Okay. Um, I've got him a little lower. I think um, the next guy at 12, I think, is for me, I think is who you have around that 13 range. But Goga has primarily been on the floor in pop-up situations. He's had some run there when Miles was out earlier in the year. got a little more consistent run, but... Uh, he's been a DMPCD for quite some time as well. If uh, and if he has been on the floor, it's been in blowout situations. So that's gotcha. kind of where I've got Gogo right now. He's been really good on the bench, so providing that energy that the Pacers have needed off that from that bench unit. Yeah. Okay. So let me just ask you this: Who did you have at twelve? So we can see if we have the same at thirteen and twelve. I've got James Johnson at twelve. Okay, I have James uh, at thirteen and Gogo at twelve. Um, I tell me why uh, you had him flipped. I had him flip because of the veteran leadership that James Johnson has brought. And I think in the couple of games that he has played, uh, specifically in the Brooklyn games, I think he's had impact in the games that they won. Um, so, But I think the the veteran leadership that he has brought is a little more valuable than what Goka brings currently because he's able to mentor these guys and he's able to instill confidence in these guys. And I think that's why you're seeing Tyrese Halliburton kind of excel and flourish this season it's because, one, he worked his butt off in the offseason, and two, he's got a veteran in James Johnson who's encouraging him to be aggressive uh, and take a shot when his shot is there. No, and I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying there in terms of his importance to the team. Um, if I'm looking at overall talent on the roster, like, yeah, I mean, he's played in some, you know, decent spurts there against the Nets that I can remember. I'm trying to think if there's any other ones where he played. Um, but to be honest, I felt like his on-court play – I haven't really noticed it as much outside of those two Nets games where I thought I wanted to give Goga a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because, like you said, early on when Miles wasn't there, he actually looked pretty good. That Pistons game, people forget about it. He looked good in that game. And honestly, as crazy as this sounds, um, it's true. He's been their best screener out of all their bigs they've had this year. I mean, and he's not that great at it. Like, it's just okay. But I think he's I think he's shown improvements. It's just, once again, like, like we talked about, there's just not a lot of playing time for him. And he's on a team that really doesn't need him right now. I mean, he's a guy that I think if he was traded to another team, maybe you see him develop and grow more just because he's getting more opportunity. But I've liked how he stayed pretty poised. I mean, he had one bad game, I think, against the Nuggets when he came in for Turner, when Turner was in foul trouble, and uh, against Jokic that game where Jokic almost fouled out in the third quarter. But, you know, the, the, the Goga minutes were bad that game. There's no doubt about it. But I feel like, for the most part, when he's been given that time to develop, he's been okay. So that's where I have Goga at 12 and James for 13. So we have him flip-flop there. At number 11, this is where I got Chris Duarte. Okay. Who do I've, you got have Duarte, at 11? I've got Duarte a little higher than I had Isaiah Jackson at 11. Okay. Uh, just because, like, he hasn't been as good as he was last year, and especially on the defensive end. He's not fouling as much, but he is just getting burnt on shot fakes. Uh, and up and under moves because he's trying. He's still trying to block every shot, but he's not fouling this this time around. And the minutes just have not been there, like we talked about earlier. Um, I think that if he had more opportunity and he was playing a little bit better on the defensive end, um, I'd move him up in my rankings. But that's just kind of where I've got Isaiah Jackson at the moment. Okay, yeah. So let me explain why I have Duarte here. A lot of it's just playing time. Um, he hasn't played a ton this season, and he had one thirty point game against the Nets that looked awesome. But other than that, I can't really recall any like memorable games that stood out for him. I think he might have had double digits off the bench against the Bulls or something like that. But 
it was kind of like a, a forgettable season so far for Chris Duarte, and it doesn't mean it can't change. And by the end of the year, to me, he could be top five, top seven, just depending on how he finishes out the year with his shooting and his defense. I mean, obviously his fit is really important to this team in uh, terms of what he can do, being a 3-and-D type of player. But that's uh, that's why I had him at 11, just because it's just been a smaller sample size for sure. And uh, I, I had Isaiah Jackson at 10, so I'll just kind of tell you I'm close with you there. It's It's tough at this point so far in the season. He's had some really good games. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But, man, some of those games on the road trip, it was terrible. So, you know, I, I think Isaiah Jackson's just still a, a work in progress is a great way to put it. And I think putting him around 10-11, we're on the same page there. So who do you got at number 10? At number 10, um, I've got sticks. I've got Jalen Smith Ooh, there okay. at number 10. Um, he's had flashes this season we've seen it early on when miles was not on the floor but um as of late he's primarily turned into that corner three-point shooter that we're talking about earlier and that isn't that's just not his role he needs to be more utilized as a true center in pick and roll and on the blocks i think he does have a i think he does have a good uh post-up game i think if you get him the ball on the block uh with the foot in the paint i think he can score almost anybody i think we've seen that a couple times this year but uh, I've got Jalen Smith a little lower, um, yeah. th- probably than you, just because of the recent gameplay. And I think uh, defensively, he hasn't had as much impact as I thought and hoped he would. He had the three blocks against Golden State, uh, but overall, through the course of the season, I don't think he's been as um, noticeable on the defensive end as Pace fans hoped. He might have been the hardest guy to rank for me, to be honest with you. Um, so everybody on this, it's just like, do I want to put him too, put him low? Do I want to put him up too high? Like. Yeah, I mean, he's he's shown flash. Like, he's had some really good moments this season, but he's also had some major stinkers, like where he's getting benched, basically, and only playing, like, 13 minutes a game, like, the last three or four games. So, uh, yeah, he's a, he's he's someone I'll get to here in a little bit, but that was your number 10, right, for Jalen Smith? Correct. All right, who do you have at number nine? Who do you have at 10? Uh, 10 so I had Isaiah Jackson. Sorry. Okay. I, I didn't know if I said that already, but, yeah. I, mean, I couldn't I remember. Yeah, so 10's where I had Jackson. 11 was Duarte. You have Duarte higher. So who did you have at number nine? I got Timothy John McConnell. Okay, we're in agreement here. Number nine, that's his number. It makes sense. Yeah, I like I like TJ McConnell here at nine. Uh, we know he had he's had a couple double-doubles this year. Or he had one double-double, a double-digit assist game, so two of those. But, you know, he's a, just a steady player that you can bring up off the bench, provide a little spark here and there. And, you know, as a late, he's been a little – uh, he's been a little feisty. Yeah. You know, he's been a little aggressive, getting after the officials a little bit, uh, showing a little passion. But I think his veteran leadership, too, um, has helped Tyrese in understanding the game. And I would just like to see him, you know, have a little more confidence in shooting the three. Like he said coming into the year that he worked on it, but like there's times still where he's left wide open with, you know, it's like social social distancing with COVID all over again. And like he won't take the <laughs> shot. It's like, it's like, come on, TJ, shoot. Like, I understand you may not have the, you know, the consistency, but you have to have confidence within yourself that you're going to knock down the shot. But uh, that's where I just have TJ McConnell. He's a nice guy to bring up off the bench and, um, to work that second unit offense with the pick and roll. And I think he'll, uh, I think that's properly ranked right there for TJ. Yeah. I mean, and I think one thing too that you're going to notice from him is like, you know, he can, he can't really play off ball uh, very much because of his, inability to shoot the basketball like you said but not even just the inability to shoot it the inability to make it and that's been a little bit of a problem like we've seen him go like nuts against the magic where he had like three or four in a game and you're like who is this guy like oh my god 
That was an anomaly. We haven't yeah. really seen that again. I mean, I like TJ McConnell, his energy, his defense, his effort. It's all important. Um, even if there's at some point in the year, whatever, he ends up losing that backup point guard spot. They play injuring him hard more there just to see what he looks like running that second unit. And he becomes a third string point guard. I think that's okay. I think he's mm-hmm. a veteran guy, but he's going to want to play. It's going to be hard not to put him out there because he does impact the game in ways that don't show up on the box score. He's a great leader. And like you said, he has been feisty. And I think these young guys probably are pushing him a little bit more. Um, you have to think about it. You know, he had to outbeat Aaron Holiday for the spot when he first was brought over here. Because from mm-hmm. what I remember, he was brought in here as a third string point guard and he outbeat um, Aaron Holiday for that spot because he was just that much more impactful. So, you know, Nimhard has been able to play a little bit off ball with the starting lineup and, and kind of be more of that type of player. But if the Pacers want to see him get more reps, at the point guard position, uh, TJ McConnell better not give them any reason to 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 make that switch. So he's got to be on his A game. So that's why I got him at nine. And this is where I had Jalen Smith at eight. It wasn't much lower than yours. I think we've seen too many like super awesome games from him where it's just like he's looked like the best player on the on the court at that moment to like mm-hmm. drop him super, super low. But at the same time, like I said, he's not finishing games. He's starting but not finishing. He's not shooting the ball well. The defense has been okay. The rebounding has been okay. He's just had a good – he's had an okay season. I wouldn't even say it's good. It's been right there middle of the pack. Had some high moments, but had some low moments as well. Want to see him get better, but at the same time, I'm just uh, I'm just not really sure what his exact role is on this team moving forward, and that's kind of tough because he was their free agency get. He was a guy that took the discount to be with them. They kind of owe it to him a little bit to give him the opportunity to sh- show himself because the last thing the Pacers want to do, bring him in here, promise him all this stuff, and then eventually give him some DNP's coaches' decisions. I mean, it's tough. It's a business. But at the same time, that's not a good look if you're trying to get free agents to come here. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Totally agree with you. So, all right, number eight, who'd you have? I got O'Breezy. Okay. percent on number eight. Um I have him at number eight simply because I think his minutes are going to go down again when Chris Duarte comes back because um, he was pretty much, uh, a, you know, a guy who come in play three, four minutes at the end of the game or if it was a blowout like against the Wizards. Yeah. Uh, he, he got 14 early, but he was a guy that wasn't getting, you know, double-digit minutes when Duarte was healthy because Duarte is a little younger. They have, they're more invested, obviously, with the higher draft pick, but – as of late, you know, the last, I want to say, what, the last dozen games or ever since the calendar turned December, you know, he's got five games in double figures. He has, he has an 18-point game on, on the season. He's been shooting the three a lot better. He's around, you know, 40-plus percent, I think, if I if I remember correctly. That's just where I got O'Shea. I think he's a nice spark off the bench, bring some athleticism. Uh, he's a guy that can get the crowd into it if you need him to because uh, he's got the ability – to dunk on some people, catch an alley-oop lob pass for um, Nimhard or Halliburton or uh, Matherin occasionally. So that's just kind of where I've got O'Shea and why I've got him at number eight. Okay, okay. I got O'Shea higher than that. Let's move on to number seven. Who do you got at seven? Is this where you have Duarte? This is where I have Duarte. All right. Um, Talk to me about it. I'm still a believer in Duarte. Um, I just think he had a the start of the year, I, I I don't think he had a knowledge of what his role was going to be or how to, ad- or how to adapt to that role. Because, I mean, last year, he how many games did he start? Well, it's like he started, he started off the game. 40. 
Yeah. Started off as a starter and then he came off the bench when they were struggling and they put Justin in there. Yeah, he's had a very up and down in terms of like trying to figure out what his role is with this team for the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and I think he right when he got hurt uh, in that Miami game, that game before is when he had that big explosion in Brooklyn, that 30-point game. I think he was starting to settle into his role. And I, I think he's one of the better defenders that the Pacers have too. And on a team that kind of lacks wing defenders and on-ball defenders, I kind of have a little bit more value in Chris Duarte being a little bit higher. Uh, I just can't wait for him to be healthy and back on the floor because I'm interested to see what his role is and how he looks uh, with the Pacers, especially with the way Matherin and Halliburton have played and now Andrew Nimhart. Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely is one of your top four guards on this team overall just because of what he can do on both ends of the floor. But for me, the reason I had him lower is I just hadn't seen it yet this year consistently enough. So uh, that's totally cool that you had him there at seven. This is where I had Crash himself, Aaron Neesmith. Um, I like Aaron Neesmith, but I have not loved his game overall since he's been on the Pacers. But as of late, I have started to like what he's done. I'm like, okay, he's shooting the ball a little bit better. We had David Thorpe on like last Thursday, I think it was. He was like, he can't shoot. And since then, I think he's shooting like over 40% from three. Like, it's been insane. So it's like, he's been really good. It's like, okay, maybe he heard the podcast. Maybe they played a clip and we're just like, hey, listen to this. This guy's terrible. You know, like, you want some motivation? Yeah. Here you go. I mean, uh, like you said, one of the best defenders on this team. There's no doubt about it. That's why I have him up so high, even if the offensive numbers weren't there. Um, he gets a little bit too out of control for me with the ball sometimes. I think he can play out of control. But um, I would say more recently, ever since I've been kind of like not loving his game and publicly talking about it, feels like he's kind of shutting me up a little bit with his play overall. So I have him at seven. I feel like he's been someone they've been able to rely upon more and for longer spurts of times than Jalen McConnell and Ijax. So that's why I had him at number seven. I have him at six. Okay. Um, I'm not far off. No, I I like what he brings to the starting unit. Allows you to switch more, I think, um, com and compared to Jalen Smith. And now in today's NBA, now you you see a lot more switching when it comes to screens. And I think you're able to do that more with Aaron Neesmith. And I think uh, I think the shooting from Neesmith helps with the spacing on the floor too, like we talked about earlier. And that's why I've got him at number six. Okay, for me, number six, I've got. O'Shea Brissett. This is where I put O'Shea. I feel like once he got back on that rotation, he's looked really good. And I think the Pacers need people like him because he has size. Not a bad mm -hmm. rebounder. He's a hustler. He's going to go all out. Very cool guy. He's shooting the ball much better than he had been. Uh, we know that he was not known for his three-point shooting, but has shot the ball pretty well in his NBA career. So, you know, I just I don't understand what took so what it, why it took so long to get O'Shea on the floor. I get it. It's a crowded rotation, yeah. but he's good, and he changes the game, in my opinion. Him off the bench is huge for this Pacers team because he doesn't have to be the primary scorer, but he's going to cut. He's going to rebound. He's going to be effective on the glass. He's going to play hard defense, even if it's not the greatest. He gives it his all on defense for the most part. So I like O'Shea. I think overall he's been more consistent than Neesmith, more consistent than Jalen, more consistent than Jackson, a lot of these young guys. So that's why I got him up there. I think he's had a great run, and I'm hoping that your prediction is wrong about him out of the rotation. Hope he stays in it, but it would not surprise me whatsoever. So 
Now we are into the top five. This is where I think we have the same five, which is pretty obvious, but I don't think we're going to have the same order. So number five, who you got? I've got Andrew Nimhard at number five. Right right Um, there with you. If Nimhard was a little more of a threat offensively, I think Yogi agrees with me too. Uh, (laughs) If Nimhard was a more of a consistent threat offensively, I'd move him up. I'd switch him in number four, who I'll go into in a little bit. But uh, I've got Nimhard at five. As you said, one of the better on-ball defenders for this Pacer team. Um, And I think he he doesn't really turn the ball over either. He's really good with the basketball in his hands and making decisions and not turning the basketball over. And I think if you have another guard that's playing next to Tyrese and, you know, Tyrese, let's say he gets injured like he was earlier, like a week or so ago, uh, and you need Andrew Nimhard to facilitate more and be more of the, you know, the point guard, he can do that. Tyrese gets in foul trouble, he can move over to point guard and he can be that guy. But I think he's doing a really good job too, as the two, uh, being able to facilitate and move things around offensively. Great points. Like you said on Tony's show, he's a chameleon, right? Yes. Bob Crabb yes. stole that straight from you, and I think he might have even used that for one of his articles. But he said, I think I think Nimhard's like a chameleon. I said, have you been listening to Locked On Pacers? Because that's what my guy Eddie Garrison <laughs> said. So I always try to give you credit whenever we do bring up that analogy on setting the pace. But, you know, it is it is true, though. I think Nimhard wears a lot of hats on this team. When when Query and uh, – when when Kevin and Query were asking him, I think it was I think it was Jake who asked him who wears the most hats on this team. He said Halliburton, and I was kind of like, oh, I thought he was going to say Nimhard because they asked Nimhard yeah. to do everything, guard the best players, play this role on offense, play that role on offense. But maybe it was he answered it in a little bit different way, so it was kind of more like on and off the court kind of hat. So maybe that's what he was referring to. Not sure, but what I was thinking about, I was thinking on court. I think Nimhard's been fantastic. I think he's been such a bright spot for this team. Anytime a player goes from uh, did not play a coach's decision on opening night to being a starter and having a game winner against LeBron and, and being able to shut down Steph Curry in Golden State. I, I think that to me speaks volumes of like where he's at as on a maturity level. I don't think for the entirety of the season he's been better than the other rookie, but I would say so far the last probably two weeks, uh, you can say and you can make the case that Nimhart has been a better rookie overall than Benedict Mather in, in terms of how they played the last two weeks, not the entire season. But a short mm-hmm. sample size there. So love what I see from him. But now let's get into number four. Who do you got? I think I have the most polarizing player on the team for Pace of Freedoms. You either love him or you hate him. There's no middle ground. Uh, and that's 33, Miles Turner. Um, Interesting. Okay, talk to me about this one. I've got Miles at number four. Um, because there are still some areas of concern for me with Miles. You see, you saw the Zubats game. Yeah. It's a Vita Zubats, and you nearly gave up a 30-30. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there, there's just times where he just looks like when he's on the floor, you like, there's times where he, like, will go out and try to rebound. And there's other games where it's like, all right, I'm just going to go out here and play, just kind of run the floor a little bit, grab some boards, block some shots. But his defensive presence in the paint, I think, is what makes him so valuable to the spacer team. Right. He helps with spacing, too, because he's able to pick and pop. He can drive – or not drive, but uh, he can cut to the basket on the on the roll. Um, and plus, we've seen him kind of handle the ball a little bit more yeah. when he gets it on the perimeter and puts it on the deck. 
Behind the uh, back. He's couple, yeah, he's got a couple of impressive uh, finishes at the rim, but I've got Turner at four simply because I think the three guys ahead of him have been really consistent, and I think one of them has been vastly underrated and not appreciated enough. Yeah, we'll probably get to him in our top three as if we're talking about the same guy, but I had Turner higher than four. Um, I think Turner has been awesome, but I'll get to him in a second here. At number four, this is where I've got who I think you have a number two, if I'm not mistaken, Benedict Matherin. I've got him a number four, and like you said, the inconsistency has been part of the problem. I think Ben has been awesome offensively. I think that you're starting to see some wrinkles in his game offensively where he's starting to make better passes. But to me right now, he's strictly a scorer slash shooter. Defensively, I think he's gotten better over the last week. But prior to that, prior to that, there's some really bad defensive plays from him. And it's just like ball watching, getting lost. And that's happened. That happened to him a lot at Arizona. If you go back and watch a lot of the film, he ball watches and kind of gets stuck in like no man's land. And then, you know, I, I, I'm not even trying to be too nitpicky with him. I just feel like, yeah, he's been awesome, but he's not been as consistently awesome as the other three above him, in my opinion, because the Pacers probably don't win a lot of the games they've won without the other three having spectacular games. And he's been a part of some of those games where he's carried this team. But at the same time, there's been some veterans on this team that I think have been awesome as well and probably more consistent than he has. So um, this was a tough one for me because everybody wants Benedict as high as they can get him, right? Because he's so awesome and he's so fun to watch. But there are some, there's a lot of areas for him to improve upon to become an even greater player than he already is. And I don't feel like what we're seeing now is his finished product what anywhere near any near what am i trying to say anywhere near to that so i like yeah. ben number four let's keep him there give him some room to grow who do you have at three i'm assuming we have the same person here buddy hill correct yeah this this one was obvious for me buddy's been awesome i mean he's had some shooting slumps but this guy has kept us in so many games with his shooting ability carlisle even said it he's trying on defense he's doing better than he was um, not not perfect at all, obviously. It's not his game. But, man, he he has the ability to keep this Pacers team in a game with his lights-out shooting, even if it's not been great. He, he can still get the ball in the hoop when it matters the most. And I felt like the game that defined that the most was that Golden State game on the road, one of the only vets playing in that game. Everybody hurt. It really wasn't his night. It was Nimhart's night. Matherin got off early. He just kind of picked and chose his spots. But when the fourth quarter came close down to the wire, he hit two big threes to give the Pacers some cushion. And Nimhard finished it. But that's what Buddy mm-hmm. can do for your team. And I think he's just been awesome all year long. I think Buddy has been really underrated on on-ball defense. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to defense and, you know, switching on the on screens away from the basketball and communication away from the basketball, I think that's where Buddy still needs to improve. I think on ball, I think he's been better than advertised, and I think fans don't acknowledge it enough. That's yeah. the guy who I was talking about who doesn't get as much attention as I think as he should. Yeah, uh, he's you know he's third on the team in scoring, yeah. and he's averaging eighteen a game. And all the credit goes to Halliburton, and all the credit goes to Benedict Matherin, rightfully so because they've been the two most exciting players on this team. But you know you can count on Buddy for three threes a game, and most of the time, one of those three, if not two of those three, will be threes when you need it the most. When the shot's not falling for the rest of the team, he'll he'll make a three. Next, you know, it's like a barrage of threes. And then 
as we've talked about with McConnell and James Johnson, veteran leadership for me is why I have Buddy at three. Um, I think he brings a lot of leadership to Halliburton. Um, and I think he's a he's a player that Halliburton trusts a lot because of the days in Sacramento. And he's yeah. a player that Halliburton can lean on. Definitely. And I think another thing, too, is his durability. He's available every game. Yes. Carlisle yes. talked about it. He has an ankle injury. He's begging them not to look at it. No, I'm good. I'm good. Doesn't live in the training room. He lives on the court. He'll be in before shoot around. He'll be in there practicing after games. You just love to see that from a guy. And so, you know, it's been a it's been a different experience than I thought a lot of people expected with Buddy. I think nobody expected Buddy to be a long term fit here with the Pacers. And now I'm kind of in the boat where I understand why fans are saying, hey, let's not trade this guy. Let's keep him. It's getting crowded back there in that backcourt for sure. They got a lot of good players, but yeah, it, it's to that point where it's like Buddy's been so impactful. It's like it's really hard to swallow the pill and say, let's move on from him because of what he's meant to this team. Yeah. So number two is where I have Miles Turner, obviously. Uh, I don't have number one. We all know who number one is. It's Tyrese. But number two, I got Miles Turner. I think the Pacers have been a much better team with him on the floor. It's night and day difference for the most part. Yes, he's had some major stinkers this year. You can probably count three or four games in the past month that he's not been playing, that he's not played well. But then the other games that he's played, I mean, there's one game he's putting up 30-something against the Pelicans and 30-something up against the Timberwolves. And, you know, he's showing how he can be such an impactful player. Best defender on the team, no question about it. Um, And in terms of just like how he impacts the overall defense. Now, he's not a great perimeter defender, but he funnels everything. Rebounding can be much better. I mean, we've been talking about that with Miles for years. It's fine. It's nothing to knock on. Like, you know, that we haven't already said he can be a better rebounder. But the shooting, over 40% from three this year, unreal. Like, just stupid. Like, that's awesome. And getting to the free throw line a little bit more than he had been. I know early on it was a lot more than it is now. We haven't seen him, you know, really be great at setting screens. He's got to get better at that. But I just feel like overall, you know, whether they keep him or they trade him, it's up to the Pacers in the front office what they want to do. It's up to Miles what he wants to do. But I think you can say that the way he's played, it's uh, you're getting the miles that I think every single Miles Turner fan was hoping they would get when he was drafted back in 15. Yeah, I would agree with you there. You know, he's shooting 56% this month, the month mm-hmm. of December. He has been outstanding uh, when it comes to shooting threes. And for me, this is where I have Benedict Mather at number two. Yeah. Um, now, had we, you know, had we had he not be performing at this level, I don't think Matherman would be here. I have him. I've valued him a little more than most, and I think most Pacer fans will put him too. Um, but where I want to compare for him to you in your list, I have him at two simply because this was this is unexpected. Like you did not expect him to come in here, like we talked about earlier, come in here and average like eighteen points a game rather than get, get to the free throw line you know, eight to 10 times a game and be such a key figure into their wins. Like you look at their wins mm-hmm. and I know Halliburton will get a lot of credit for it. Turner will get credit for it, but I don't think, and Nimhart certainly for that Golden State game, I don't think Matherin gets enough credit for how he impacts the wins because of his role in his, like you said, his role is to score. And I think that's what they need him to do off the second unit is for him to score because yeah. You look at O'Shea Brissett, he's not a, you know, he's not a consistent shooter who's efficient in scoring. McConnell's not looking to score. And then Isaiah Jackson, he 
he's not a guy that you can get the ball to like here, go score from the block or something. He has to be in pick and roll or a lob or on the fast break. And then you have Mathery. He can score at the basket. He's worked a little bit on that floater mid range game. And it's funny because as you, as you noted, I went on Tony's podcast a month ago or so. Yeah. Um, after the first 10 games in the year, we were joking about how Mathery needs to have more of a presence of a floater or a mid-range game. And actually, you know, comes out the next game and he has like three or four of them. We're like, <laughs> it's like, this is all backwards. Every time you talk about somebody, they always do it the next game. And it's like, come on, what is happening? Yeah, it makes me look like a complete idiot. But <laughs> I have Matherin at two simply because this is all unexpected. The life he brings to this team as a rookie um, and the confidence that he plays with every single night is unmatched. That's a great point. I mean, the unexpected part, I do like that you, br- that you bring that up as a point into why you had him at two instead of four, because obviously our four and our two were switched. Um, it's just, yeah, it's tough, man. It's it's one of those things where it's like, I uh, I love Mather. I would say he's probably my most, he's probably my favorite player to watch on the team, even above Tyrese, as crazy as it sounds like. When Mather gets going, it's just like, man, that's like must-see TV. It's just a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, But Miles does a lot of good things, too. And, I mean, it, it's just been crazy because I didn't expect Miles to have as good of a year that he's having. I think that we thought he'd be better. But the fact that he's having such a good year so far has been awesome. But, yeah, I think you could debate this one, and there's not really a right or wrong answer here because it's all our opinion, and we can have whatever opinion we want on this. So, number right. one, though, we are dead right on this one. Nobody can argue with this on uh, any. Just, yeah, just quickly, though, who would you compare – Mather into like what's a player comp for him in your good eyes? question good question oh man i'm i'm trying i mean i've heard mark monty say jimmy butler which i don't know if i agree with that completely jmv I, said the same thing today that's why i bring this question up to you now yeah, we were I talking mean, about it there's certain aspects of jimmy butler to him i can see uh i kind of felt like he looked like victor oladipo a little bit coming out of out of college mm. Uh, not the point guard that they tried to make him be in Orlando, but just a guy that goes and scores first with his head down. Now maybe he's not as uh, maybe he's not as like quick as Oladipo was, right? Because Oladipo mm-hmm. had a very quick first step, and he was a little bit thinner when he was here for the Pacers. So I don't know if I have like a uh, straight up comparison for him, but maybe a mix of Oladipo and Jimmy Butler sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. What about you? You agree with that, or you have somebody else in mind? I, I mean, from day one, I have compared him to Bradley Beal. Okay. You look at how Bradley Beal primarily did his scoring his rookie year at the basket, shooting threes. Okay, that's a good one. How people Mather don't think about rookie school? Bradley Beal, right? Like people think of Bradley Beal now, but like look at the progression of Bradley Beal over his career. He goes from fifteen, like seventeen, nineteen, twenty. 20, like he just yeah. improved year by year by year. Uh, and because he added different parts to his game, and I think that's where Matherin can get. Uh, we've seen him a little more in terms of a playmaker and getting other people involved. And I think that's where Bradley Beal struggled with as, as well when he was a rookie and getting others involved. He was really good at scoring, and that's where he knew what his role would be when he was drafted. And then, you know, now he's kind of turned into a, the point guard because he primarily played next to John Wall. Um, but now that he's there by himself, uh, when he is healthy, he is a he is one of the best guards that are in the NBA. Completely agree with that. So that's a 
I'll have to keep an eye on that. I'll have to go look at some of their numbers in their rookie season just to see maybe their percentages, shot chart, all that kind of stuff. Because I always enjoy going back and seeing what rookies look like compared to other rookies. Um, but there we go. Number one, Tyrese Halliburton. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your franchise. This is the guy that's leading the NBA in assist. Not just your Pacers, but the entire NBA in assist. Ben Lights Out has been a breath of fresh air for this team. And carrying the team on a night-to-night basis, uh, no doubt about it, gets everybody involved. He's the orchestrator, but he's also the guy that can score when it matters the most. He's just been – he's a bit of godsend for us, Eddie. And uh, yeah. honestly, I don't really know what else to say about him, but this is probably the only player on the roster that's got a chance to make the All-Star team. Oh, I totally agree. And he could be a starter. Yeah. I saw that the other day. I was like – Man, that is wild to think about, but it's it's kind of true. Like he's been that good, but there's so many good guards in the East. Um, but he's he's been lights out. Yeah, that's a that's a different podcast for another day where you can you know <laughs> dive into where Tyrese ranks among the guards in the East. But yeah, I mean, like you said, leads the league in or association, I should say, uh, in assists. And I mean, he's had games where his shot doesn't fall, but. He goes in there, he'll stick his nose underneath the rim, rebound a couple, get guys involved, find a way to get to the foul line every now and then. Um, you know, last year he averaged, what was it, like 18? 18 and 10 uh, when he was with the Pacers for those 25, 30 games. And yeah. He's at 20, right. 20 and 11 almost this season, which is right where he said his preseason goal was to average 20 points and, you know, 10-plus assists. And – he has been efficient too, shooting forty-eight percent from the field and forty beyond the line, which is on par for his entire career so far in the NBA. A forty percent mm-hmm. and then an eighty-six percent free throw shooter. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, in you know a year or two, we're talking about him for a 50-40-90 guy. Yeah. Um, but I am excited to see where Tyrese Halliburton cont- grows and continues to go, and how far he can take this franchise and. I'm thankful that he's got family here in the Midwest and here in Indiana <laughs> and in Wisconsin because uh, you never know with star players like the way he is if they eventually want to leave like we have grown to see here in Indiana with uh, Oladipo and with uh, PG. So I just hope and I pray Tyrese wants to be here long term because I think Pacer Nation and that front office and the coaching staff want here as for as long as he wants to play. I, I totally agree with that. And I will say this. I was listening to you answer me back there. And I noticed that you've been hanging out with Mark J. Boyle quite a bit. You corrected yourself when you called it the league and called it the association. That is a Boyleism right there for you. So you have been hanging out too much with Pat and MJB <laughs> on the Pacers radio call. But there you guys have it, our ranking of the roster, as well as a little bit of John Collins talk, as well as talking about that game against the Warriors. Going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth.